Hey, what's up, Ecosystem? Welcome back to ATI Auto Business. It's Wednesday. It's noon. That means it's time for live carrier advice. We've got your DOT guy, Brian Riker, standing by in the wings. Mic check, one, two, three. Let me just get this audio going. While I'm doing that, please feel free to jump into the live chat. I see David Two Bears in there. Got a couple questions already. That's wonderful. Thank you, David, for saying hello and tuning in. Bring in your questions. That is the purpose of Live Care Advice. The number one goal of Live Care Advice is to make sure you are prepared with the information you need so that you can succeed in business, in trucking, right? Because there's a lot to it. And we're going to look at some legal cases and whatnot. If you tuned in last night, you already know about some of that. Or feel free to ask. Do me a favor. Leave a like, click share, click copy, grab that YouTube link. And uh, let somebody know, hey, man, are you looking for clarification on those FMCSA regulations? This is the show for you. There's the live chat. Thanks again, David. Let's check in with uh, Brian, see what's going on. Brian, can you see me and hear me okay? Yes, I can, Jay. Welcome back. Welcome back to Live Care Advice. Yes, we had a little bit of time off. Mm-hmm. Summer stuff. Um, the summer's over. It's time yeah. to get back to business, right? And it's just good we had some couple weeks off because I still yeah. don't have much of a voice. So mm. I apologize in advance when I cough in everybody's ear. Okay. Well, we hope that you feel better soon. <coughs> All right. Now, me too. Thank it you. happens. All right. Well, let's get moving. I'll tell you what. I got something really... Uh... Well, David's up first. David? Okay. Here we go. David's got... Uh, so big question, if I change from a carrier to a lease on driver and change commodity I haul, will I be able to still operate the same LLC? Does the name on the door just identify who you are leased to? Clarification on that. And he's got a follow up. Good question, David. And you can leave your name on the door, but whoever you are operating for meaning the carrier you're leased to their name and dot number would be on the truck so your dot number all your identifying numbers would come off but it could still say uh two bears transportation llc or whatever you want it to say but then you would have two very important words operated by immediately proceeding the carrier you're going to lease on to. So if you were to lease on to ABC Trucking, it could say two bears all over the truck, but then somewhere, normally right about where you put the DOT number, it would say operated by carrier you're leased to and their US DOT number. So you can have your own name on the truck, but the carrier that's operating it must also be on the truck, and everything you do at that point would be in that carrier's name for logbook, for interacting with motor carrier, et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully that answers. If not, shoot me a follow-up question during the show, and I'm happy to go a little further. That's pretty interesting. Okay, I, I, I believe from where I sit, that provides some clarification. Let's keep going. Then he says, also for that 35%, the carrier leased to, do they handle IFTA, even if I stay in the same state? Also, I would be moving to Mississippi, moving from Mississippi to Florida. Do I need to transfer my <coughs> LLC or start a new one? Lots of questions. All right. Well, the IFTA will 
depend on what's in your contract with that carrier. Some carriers provide all your permits and file your fuel tax, file your apportioned, provide your base plate. Some do not. So it's going to depend on what's in the lease agreement with that carrier. There is no regulation that says thou shall or thou must. The only leasing regulation that says thou must is pay you within 15 days of turning in all the appropriate paperwork and they get to decide what that paperwork is now as far as the llc i am not an attorney i only pretend to be one on youtube once in a while so your llc whatever state you're domiciled in you must be a business entity in that state so if you're physically moving to florida you would either transfer your llc and set up a new address in florida or create a whole new llc in florida with a new federal ein now as a single member as a one person running an llc irs calls you a disregarded entity so most everything nowadays ties back to your social security number anyhow but yes if you're physically changing states you need to comply with whatever the regulations are for business registration within that state and for that i can't tell you exactly what it is because i am not an attorney and i am not a corporate attorney especially so what i was wondering is okay given the questions is there um do you think there's a page on the FMCSA site that gets into some of this further? Or not at all. No. <laughs> the, the LLC is not a federal motor carrier thing because right. you can be a motor carrier as JW or Brian Riker. Uh, I can have Brian Riker has my legal business name for a DOT number. So FMCSA could give a crap what business structure you use. Your business structure is a tax thing a liability thing and in some cases an employment law thing so that it can be a business to business transaction and still qualify you as a independent contractor but federal motor carrier could care less is that why brokering is a safety issue brokering is a safety issue if a broker picks a uh, substandard carrier to move something below market rate Ooh, nice and so move. helps put somebody bad on the road. That's in the news. Wow, let's keep moving. Wow, good one. Nice save. Right? <laughs> I, th I went for the spike and you saved it. That was crazy. Uh, what is Jay talking about now? Okay, so let's do this. We've got... We're going to roll the video. You ready for this? We haven't had a good how we doing in a while. Well, we got one. Hang on to your boots. Uh, let's see here. Oh, dear Lord. He's going to turn that shit over. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Working on it right now. Thanks. What are we going to do? I'm going to watch it flip over. Oh, dear God. Oh, wait. Oh.
Can you still hear it? I cannot hear the sound anymore. Okay. All so. right, good. I turned off the sound. <laughs> We're going to let it roll again. <laughs> but it sure is. <laughs> oh, actually, I think it, you think I think the sound is playing on my end. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, all right, well, that's fine. I'll just go ahead. Oh, and, my, uh, gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We got it still running here. Hang on one second. <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, it's got me discombobulated. All right, so, Brian, <laughs> take the wheel. Oh. That was very, very unstable, the truck going in and out of the corners. And uh, their commentary, although full of colorful language, was priceless and really that's what when you do something like that even if it's perfectly legal on height and axle weight and all that you're asking for trouble because the same reaction the people in the car had that were filming it is the reaction the average officer is going to have so i don't like that rocking back and forth the way it is something doesn't quite look right there um, oh that's crazy and yeah that's, that's that's a mild curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of sway in that rig right there. So, is he is something? Is he, is he having a problem? I mean, that is that normal? That's not normal to move that much on yeah. on your truck. No. And shouldn't so, he be in the right lane on this stuff? Oh yeah, because you're impeding traffic, and actually that's an enforcement campaign right now. Uh, when you're traveling at or below the speed limit in the left lane, you are committing a traffic offense because slower traffic, all traffic in most states, needs to keep right except to pass. And he's just tooling along out there in the left-hand lane, and he's not passing anybody. He's holding pace with the car in front of him and the car behind him. Get over. Let faster traffic go by now for the uh, uh peanut gallery that was recording this if you think he's seriously going to tip over stop tailgating him slow down <laughs> let him get well, ahead of you so he doesn't well, take you out with you everybody's got to get views on tiktok i mean it, this is really interesting that a random peanut gallery captured this video which mm -hmm. means this is happening more than once a year Yes, and it's not just people that are in the auto transport industry that are noticing this. and Because it's like that phenomenon when you buy a new car. Let's say you buy a brand new uh, Mustang. You didn't notice them until you brought one home, and now you're seeing them everywhere. And you right. happen to be seeing it in dark forest green because that's the color you chose. And it's like, wow, they're everywhere. I didn't notice it was such a common car. Well, the same concept happens to us in auto transport. We notice fellow car haulers because it's what we do. It's what we look for. So, yeah, if the public is seeing this and feeling that's unsafe, we have a big problem. We'll keep moving. Um, thank you again for uh, this was a question, Richard, with new rules in mind. Can non-CDL hotshot drivers tow more than 10,000 pounds with both trailer and cargo combined? That was a YouTube comment on one of our previous shows. In a nutshell, what uh, what transpired here, Brian? 
Um, I'm not sure, and I never did get a clarification from Richard other than a thank you, what new rules he was talking about. And I've heard all sorts of rumors, enough that I want to start a segment called Road Rumors, because I hear rumors every day. Oh my um, god, that's a great idea, Brian! But I have not Road heard, oh god, heard of any that. changes. <laughs> I have not heard of any changes to what qualifies as a commercial motor vehicle for driver's licensing purposes uh they have not changed the vehicle classes on a federal level since the inception of the cdl program which was passed in 1988 or 90 and went into effect in 92 nationwide so i don't know what new rules that richard was referring to um it's possible that a state may be considering a change, and then it would only affect the people that are domiciled, so, the people that live in that state. But federally, there's no change coming. Do you think he was talking about the, uh, you know, the CDL training? No. Possibly. Possibly. But there's so much misinformation out there and confusion that... But he's talking about weight and combos, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And as far as I know, there are only two states in the United States that have a restriction based solely on trailer weight or trailer gross weight. And that is California and Washington. The rest also take into consideration the overall combination being at or below 26,000 pounds, which allows you to have the 14,000 pound truck, 12,000 pound trailer or vice versa. So in fact, we touched on this this weekend with, um, Pennsylvania State Police, a motor carrier enforcement supervisor, was at the IATA event in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania this weekend, and we touched on this exact question, because there was questions from the attendees about how Pennsylvania views hot shots and auto transporters, and he agreed with me that the only two states that he's aware of as a motor carrier enforcement officer to even look at their driver's license is California and Washington. Hey, uh, Devin's with us here. Let me read this. Um, Devin's got got pulled over by the DOT. No ticket, but he gave me a warning for tag light, and you see are out of date. Told me I had 15 days, but did not explain what to do. Okay. Well, that's easy. Fix the tag light. Install one if you don't have it. Unless, of course, it's a tractor trailer, and we're talking about the rear tag light under your tractor, and you have a trailer hooked up, then that does not have to function under updated CVSA uh, operational policy. But in either case, fix it, and UCR, go online and file your updated UCR registration, because the states have the right to take enforcement action for not having your UCR paid current, not having a valid USDOT number, valid operating authority when necessary. So you have to correct them within 15 days and before your next trip, you can complete the trip that you're on, show them that written warning that you got the warning on here. You can complete the trip you're on, but then before you dispatch out on another trip, you have to complete all the defects noted on that warning. And then if he gave you a DVIR form, the inspection form that we get from motor carrier officers, it will have an address down near the bottom center of it that you sign signature of repairer, 
you sign that you repaired and corrected those defects and you mail a, a copy of it back to that address and then you keep that form on file for a year. If it wasn't a motor carrier officer and it was just a regular police officer, but they don't enforce UCR, then you just have to correct the defects and follow whatever was written on the warning form he gave you. But if it's a DOT officer, then you're going to sign that form and send it back to the state capital in whatever state you got pulled in. There'll be an address on the front of it, uh, bottom near the center. You're watching live carrier advice on ATI Auto Business. Feel free to... If you missed the show live, you can email your question to onair at yourdotguide.com. You can also put it in the comments below the video. Brian will get back to you. He's very good. Uh, get ready to read because he will, he will be very specific, as you can see on the screen. Um, all right, so you guys had last weekend, and you'll tell me more, the IATA meet and greet. Tell me more. Yes, well... I am a founding member of the Independent Automobile Transporters Alliance, IATA. It's a group, a trade association for the smaller independent auto transporter. Um, we had a free to members and non-members meet and greet event in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, conveniently located only a couple of minutes from the Mannheim Auto Auction. We had truck parking uh, between the Mannheim truck lot and Fine Line Transportation, their lot, and someone willing to shuttle you back and forth if you had parked your truck there. Uh, had a whole line of guest speakers, uh, including myself. We had a trooper, Austin Barnett, from the Pennsylvania State Police Motor Carrier Enforcement Unit, Troop J. He's the supervisor of the officers that handle Lancaster and Chester County, so the greater Philadelphia area for Pennsylvania. And he spoke on common issues with auto transporters and spoke on why they are in the Mannheim Auto Auction transport lot in Pennsylvania inspecting auto transporters and what they're trying to accomplish with that mission and the mission is to make sure people are safe and not have to inspect you on route 72 which is just too narrow to pull a tractor trailer over and we had speakers from uh, Hardings Brooks Insurance which has an exclusive IATA member only insurance program that has already saved uh uh, over $300,000 in premium for the 15 members that have signed up for that insurance program. Now, that one's tough to get into because we have very strict minimum qualifications, certain number of years in business, a uh, acceptable DOT safety score, et cetera, et cetera, and life insurance that's offered. Uh, Dave Gellinger from Worldwide Equipment Sales came out and spoke about the shortage problems we're having with sourcing trucks and trailers right now, parts and service, and what to expect for the next uh, 12 to 18 months. It was a great event, and, and it culminated with dinner and an open bar for all the attendees, and we're looking forward to doing it again next year. So uh, <clears throat> hopefully we'll talk about it a little more over the uh, over the course of the next year on uh, these shows. And maybe maybe next year we'll get 50 or 100 people to come to it. Cool. Yeah, we're going to um, – I found the webpage, right? There's some more information uh, that we're going to have Ziggy – should this should work out? I think it's going to work out. We should have Ziggy on live care advice in two weeks, 
and mm -hmm. to continue this conversation. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a great event. The officer answered questions from the attendees, and everyone was polite and respectful with the officer. And it allowed us to really understand the mission of the MIXAP, the Motor Carrier Safety Assistance Program, which is what is uh, administered by the federal government with their state partners, such as Pennsylvania State Police, New Jersey State Police, etc. It really answered some questions. Actually, that would be powerful. Um, maybe with any luck, maybe we can continue a conversation with him as well. Because I, yes, I, I've seen. I tell you, I was glued. I forget the name of that officer, Brent, maybe, and from Indiana, and he was doing Facebook Live for a little while. Uh, Brent Hoover, yeah. Indiana State Police. Yeah, I met him I was uh, earlier this month. Yeah. I met him earlier this month at the uh, Indiana Towing and Wrecker Association show. He came out and spoke to the crowd, and we had a pre-trip inspection challenge, which I am sad to report that I came in third place into and lost to a 15-year-old kid. Um, but we had staged defects on a truck, and it was based on a combination of what you discovered and the time it took you to discover it, well, the trooper watched you do your pre-trip inspection. And uh, this 15-year-old also won the rotator challenge that I was doing with Worldwide Equipment Sales because he had the fastest time and the steadiest hand rotating a tire that was horizontal with six cups of water on it without spilling the water and moving it from one side of the truck to the other and dropping it on a target. And uh, Wow, that's a, um, that, where was that at? The tow show? That was at the Indiana Toe Show awesome. in Fair Oaks Farms, Indiana. Oh my gosh, I can see it. I'm like, man, that would yes. be great. That's great content. That's a great idea. Well, this yes. kid has has some skills. This isn't like yes. some random. Yes, this this kid yeah. is good. Wow, he is really That's awesome. Good. Is he a mechanic? Or, um, I'm not know. sure what he. I'm not exactly sure what he does. He's got family in the industry, but he isn't directly involved in the towing or trucking industry, to best I know. Um. But yeah, it, it's great to have that buy-in from law enforcement. And uh, I, I have a couple of law enforcement motor carrier officers that I can go to with questions. Being a member of the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance myself, it really opens up those doors to learn firsthand from them what they're expecting to see out there and to bring our issues to them so that they can understand our point of view too. You know, the truth is... Uh, when in moments where you really connect with, whether it's law enforcement or maybe a political agency, it's it's very gratifying. Mm -hmm. It feels good. Um, when it's more than just saying something, you're actually connecting, you're on the same page, and it's it's kind of neat. So I would love to have somebody from law enforcement um, with a little bit of time to join us all right let me try to we don't have i don't know what your time frame is like and we'll see let's see what happens here um got a couple articles i found this one really i put this first uh this is fascinating appeals court denies enhanced benefits to worker hit by car an ohio appellate court on tuesday so this is last week ruled that a worker was not entitled to enhanced award of benefits for his injuries from being struck by a car because the accident did not occur in a workshop. In 2018, hmm. Louis Ibarra was working 
for Cassins and their outdoor lot of the Chrysler Group yard in Toledo. Moving cars from the lot to a staging area where they'd be loaded onto a carrier or a train. The parking lot is enclosed by a fence with guarded gates for entry and exit is not open to the general public. Hmm. After I'm surprised they denied that. Well, here we Sorry. go. Well, this is interesting. After parking a new car in the staging area, and these details are put in here for a reason, Mr. Ibarra was walking in the yard to get another car when he was struck from behind by another car driven by a co-worker. <laughs> the car had snow covering the window. The co-worker was navigating by sticking his head out the window. The co-worker did not see Ibarra and violated a work rule requiring drivers to clear snow off the windshields. He was later terminated for his misconduct. And I think we can all see this This is easily plausible. Right? You're moving yeah. a car to do what you got to do. I, I've done it myself at the exactly. auctions to pull a car. Exactly. And I don't think anybody was doing anything wrong. It's just one of those unfortunate accidents. Probably in a hurry and time crunch, bad weather, etc. Mr. Ibarra received workers' comp benefits and later filed an application for an enhanced award asserting Cassins had violated a specific safety requirement in Ohio law that applies to workshops and factories. We're getting into the letter of the law now. And by the way, we don't know what, you know, maybe his medical bills required him to ask for more. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Case law, which is precedent, which is important when making a case, has defined workshop as used in the administrative code as a room or place wherein power-driven machinery is employed and manual labor is exercised by way of trade for gain or otherwise. There is also case law establishing that an outdoor area can be a workshop if it is enclosed by perimeter fencing. Therefore, his attorneys were making a case that workshop, indoor or outdoor, applies. Mm -hmm. uh, the commission relied on the fence around the lot to find it was a workshop, but the court said the presence of a fence does not automatically compel the conclusion of uh, that it is a workshop. Okay, that's the end of the story. So, uh, we go back to the headline, which was, he was denied enhanced benefits because they didn't agree that it was a workshop. Brian. I'm going to put on my OSHA hat here. And I don't know specifically how Ohio Administrative Code deals with this. I do not believe Ohio is a state plan state. So I think they follow Federal Occupational Safety Act uh, rules. And you would think that under the general duty clause that the employer would have had a duty to make sure that their workers, regardless of location, were doing things safely. Now, that said, there's a gray area involving vehicle transportation. As truck drivers, OSHA generally only applies to us, and they probably tried to make this same argument to the hustlers or hostlers, however you want to pronounce it, your shuttle drivers that were moving the cars, that they're engaging in interstate commerce, and therefore Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is the agency responsible for their workplace safety, except when they're 
inside of or immediately adjacent to a fixed structure such as a building or in the case of when you're at a rail yard federal railway becomes responsible for your workplace safety when you're on railroad property federal maritime becomes responsible when you're at a port or a harbor and federal highway when you're working on the shoulder of the highway after your truck broke down or in the case of my tow truck and road service clients federal highway is the one responsible for them when they're in a work zone so that's probably why they decided this workshop rule doesn't apply but again i'm not an attorney and i haven't read anything you blindsided me with this one but if i had to make the argument for the defense i would argue that this is interstate commerce motor vehicle transportation and the entirety of federal motor carrier workplace safety rules are wear a seat belt and don't allow exhaust to leak into the cabin of the truck right so right i think well what's interesting is when we obviously we don't have everything in front of us i'm sure there are tables of stacks of documents but can you imagine what that case looked like when they were arguing <laughs> yeah. it? oh my god and here he is smoking a cigarette <laughs> so um uh, uh obviously one could argue there were unsafe worker conditions and that's why this accident is beyond the scope of the employer's responsibility right well it would actually if it was unsafe working conditions that would make it right in the scope of employer well, responsibility no, but the, the workers weren't acting in a safe manner no, the workers were not acting in a safe manner, and supervision failed to shut it down, because I guarantee you it's a, a very common practice to hang your head out See, the window this is and the problem. move the car. And this is the problem. This is why rubber meets the road is a thing, because mm -hmm. you do what you need to do to get it done. Yes. And I don't think the workers did anything wrong, and they were on the employer's property. I would argue... I'm going to put on my J hat and I'm going to say <laughs> that I really think that if his medical bills went beyond whatever benefits he had, that they should have paid, covered those bills because he was injured while working and trying to do the job. Exactly. And workers' compensation is meant to be an unlimited benefit to make whole again for your physical injury so i don't know what the enhanced benefits are in ohio i'm not sure what they would be but uh the employer even when their employees are acting with malice uh, uh or i mean with the exception of when their employees are acting with malice and they hurt themselves the employer is responsible for the actions of their employees even when the employee does not follow established company policy and then it comes down to the point, well, did the company have policy and did they discipline enough people in the last year for moving vehicles with snow on the windshield, et cetera, to show that the employer acted in good faith but and that's this, why they're not entitled to right. the enhanced There was a uh, whole benefits. stack of legal documents proving that there were enough managers everywhere, like, you know, in a tizzy. Yes, Your Honor, when I, when I, I have the managers in a tizzy file. Well, when I, when I give consulting for either Federal Motor Carrier or OSHA, I always tell you, document, document, document. If you don't write it down, it didn't happen. Catch your guys doing good. Catch your gals doing good. Catch them doing bad. Employee file, document the good and the bad. And even if you don't take anything other than make you talk to them, you document it. 
because you got to show that you have a pattern of actually enforcing your safety culture. And the same thing with motor carrier. You're going to have days where your logbook isn't exactly perfect. You're going to be over by a couple minutes, this or that. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to falsify the log. Just do it. Document it. Most officers are going to understand. And even in an audit, they expect to see a certain number of violations, and they're not going to bust you on every one of them. But what they're looking for is the safety controls in place that you notice that these violations are happening, and you're coaching or taking corrective action by telling your dispatcher, hey, don't give the driver that type of run because you can't do it or the driver hey spend a little less time at the buffet and a little more time in the driver's seat whatever the case is so in a situation like this and this is pure speculation because i did not prep and read any of the documents on that case if they've told enough people and they've disciplined enough people for driving cars hanging their head out the window with snow on the windshield and someone got hurt they're responsible for that person's injury but they're not responsible for anything in excess because they did their job right now if it was just a whole free-for-all then maybe they would be responsible for the excess damages it's like the difference between compensatory compensatory damages to pay you for what you actually lost and punitive damages to make sure you don't ever do it again I mean, there's probably video. Was he wearing his safety vest? Oh my gosh! I mean, this case. Well, well, well. That's it. We don't. We don't know if the injured party was following all the appropriate safety rules either. Right. I, I have a very good friend who had a fatal accident with one of his employees. Drunk driver slammed into this tow truck operator in Michigan while he was loading a vehicle on his carrier. He was standing at the back of his carrier, so he didn't have a chance. And. The drunk driver was found not liable for it because – now, she was sentenced for drunk driving and is serving a several-year prison sentence, but she wasn't liable for Tom's death. That was the gentleman that was killed because Tom had left his safety vest in the cab of the truck, and so they had a plausible deniability that she couldn't see Tom's human form and thought that the tow truck was station was not stationary. The tow truck was moving, so she was just following it down the lane. So Tom, he lost his life. The person who did it didn't get properly punished. And Tom's employer, who is an impeccable person, lives and breathes safety and compliance and doing it right. I've learned a lot from him over the years. Was slapped with a $10,000 OSHA fine because he had a policy on how on, on, on you must wear your safety vest. But he didn't teach the people how to take it on and off and have that documented, and he had never in the history of his company documented somebody not properly wearing their safety gear. And what really sucks is this driver that died had a habit of actually wearing his safety gear, and we'd have no idea why it wasn't on that evening. So it was an oddball thing, but it cost the employer ten grand, cost somebody their life, and the lady that's responsible for it got a slap on the wrist. Wow. So you have to document these that things. Gnarly, man. Sorry, I, I brought oh, it all down. I know it is. I'm I'm the one that started it. I asked for it. Um, <laughs> FMCSA considers hours of service exemption for truck driver. I'm thinking everybody saw this. Is this the one where the guy says I'm experienced enough that I know when to rest and I don't need any hours I, of service? Rules? I think it. I think it is. Okay, federal <laughs> regulators are considering a company's. This is what's so. I'll just keep going. Federal regulators are considering a company truck driver's request 
for a sweeping exemption of hours of service and ELD rules, and the public will have a chance to comment. Is that even a real sentence? <laughs> I mean, does that seem like funny? Like, yes. Federal regulators are considering another. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep going. Well, In, they, 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 legally, they have legally. to Legally. Okay, there we go. Federal regulators <laughs> are legally required to pretend... Okay. In applying for the exemption, Ronnie Brown III, a driver for Waterloo, Iowa-based gray transportation. By the way, I'm just reading the news story. In the way that I'm reading it, I don't know anything about him or the company, and I like Iowa. He contends that one-size-fits-all aspect of the regulations poses safety risks... Because the rules do not always coincide with natural sleep patterns, which, by the way, I agree with. Yes. I do, and it is funny that a computer can tell you when you're tired. Mm-hmm. Because essentially See, that's what's he's, happening. He's not incorrect. It's no, he's just, not. And he may even be responsible enough to safely operate without hours of service babysitters holding his hand. But, right. unfortunately, we have well, bad actors well, that are not capable of that. Well, didn't somebody raise this argument five years ago? Or ten? Somebody raised this the second one of these uh, this how year this, that this argument's been how raised. How is this even a news story? Uh, attention! There are vehicles on the road. Okay. In addition, HOS is a... Uh, I love this. We got, I agree with this, too. It's just funny that it's even in the news. HOS is a mechanism by the government to control my movements, which I view as a violation of my constitutional right to free movement and my right as a human being to make my own choices in life as to my work habits. I agree. Yes. I just can't yes. believe... How, why, why is this being even considered? And how long will this last? Like a I week? Don't know. I don't right? know. The, I, I don't know. It's it, funny. It's funny. And while, while I support our constitutional rights fully and completely and wholly, we are in a highly regulated industry. That's why they don't even need Dude. any reason to search our truck if we're in our commercial vehicle. In so, many workplaces, they know every keystroke. Yes. There are cameras watching your eyeballs. Yes. Nobody cares about <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think we need to be that way but that's the reality that well, we are in it's today real. and yeah. and that's not a valid argument to be exempted from hours of service because it infringes upon your right to free movement um, you you gave up a lot of those rights when you obtained a CDL well, and there you go. And there it the is. trucking industry exactly. we, we're happy to have you aboard sign here to give up all your rights Brian exactly. is seeking Brown, Brown, Brown is seeking a five year exemption from federal motor carrier regulations including 10 consecutive hour off-duty time requirement, 11-hour driving limit, 14-hour driving window, limits of 60 hours and 70 day, 7 days, 70 hours, 8 days, ELD regulations. Isn't that all of them? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it would have been easier just to say, exempt me from parts 300 to 399. Oh, my but, gosh. And it, yes. But, it, but again, it's, it's almost like, like if you woke up out of like a cryo chamber... This is this would be your perspective. What are you all talking about? Uh-huh. But, but, yeah. So it is. It's weird uh, to me, um, and I feel bad that I, what sucks is I'm laughing at another human being almost. But I'm doing it because we've all been so squeezed into the conditioning that I thought we already all got the "you're not a human being" memo anymore. So. Well. 
I, I'm not laughing at Mr. Brown. I'm laughing right. at the absurdity of the Me whole too. situation. Thank you. That, thank you for the clarification. Because here's the really absurd part. If you really study trucking history and understand it like I do, hours of service regulations first started to be developed about 1938. And they were developed as a means, as, as a protection device for labor to prevent your company from working you like a dog, working you into the ground because the truck drivers are exempted from the Fair Labor Standards Act for the most part. So the answer was uh, create hours of service restrictions so the company can't expect you to just drive for 36 hours straight without a break to get somewhere and without being forced to pay them overtime the companies didn't care because they paid you pennies on the mile which was pennies on the hour so what started as a protection for truck drivers has morphed into something that is the truck driver's mortal enemy and we are trying to figure out how to squeeze every possible minute out of our day and and, and bend if not flat out break these rules as often as possible which i just find comically ironic given what they were intended for when they were written uh, uh, 60 or 70 years ago. Well, it's an amazing point because that's right. There was a time in the 70s where somebody was forced to drive for two days straight and they didn't even have monster energy because it didn't exist and they thought, God, wouldn't there be a better way if there was a way to make sure we don't have to do this? And well, so... We it was introduced and the nobody ever moderation doesn't exist it does, i can't believe that word they're going to get rid of that word moderation <laughs> that's in a, you can't say moderation anymore brian <laughs> well um we didn't have monster energy drinks but we had methamphetamines and i mean there's a whole genre of trucking music that talks about that the original lyrics to six days on the road is not passing little white lines like sawyer brown sings it in, from the 90s it is popping little white pills and there's another song uh, that speaks about uh got my second driver i carry him here in this cigarette pack this little pill is going to drive to california and back and on and on and so we wonder why there Whoa, are this show just took a side turn yo <laughs> <laughs> well well that's exactly why though we have strict drug testing regulations we have hours of service that went to computerized logs because it's no secret that truck drivers were very creative i mean the nickname is your comic book for your log book and it's not a game of cat and mouse anymore law enforcement is playing the wind today wow that so was, that was intense once again brian Riker. <laughs> uh okay so let's do uh i just want to take a look at this um AB5, uh, I don't and this is some case against Robinson, uh, talking about broker negligence, owner-operators, basically at issue whether brokers should be held liable via private action for safety outcomes of motor carriers they utilize. I figured yes. you'd be interested, right? You'd be interested in this topic. Yeah? That's easy. Yes, move along. If the, bro if the broker is going to be a party to the shipment, 
and the broker is the one selecting the motor carrier and the broker fails to do their due diligence in selecting that motor carrier to make sure they have at least the most basic safety management controls in place and qualified drivers equipment suitable for the purpose then the broker should share in the liability when the public and or their customer, meaning the shipper or receiver, is harmed by loss of property, loss of life, damage, etc. And speaking from my other career in the towing industry, we hold brokers liable regularly because a lot of times the trucking company is not properly insured for the cleanup expense incurred for handling the cargo, which is normally the largest portion of the, of the tow and recovery bill from a truck wreck. And so we sue brokers. That's why when everyone wants to jump on the broker train and they ask me about it, I tell them, make sure you got a lot of money put away and make sure you've got some really good insurance because you are responsible under the concept of negligent hiring or negligent entrustment for the actions of the people that you are part of the transaction. And that's what this is showing is that even a big one like C.H. Robinson with eight and nine figure attorney bills can't escape the negligent entrustment doctrine. It is just part of what we do. It's the same reason an employer is liable for the actions of their employees because we trust our employer to give us a safe workplace. Well, it is an interesting argument. If you're going to reap the benefits, you've also got to sow the damages. I don't know. Does anybody say yes. that? Yeah. Now, 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 I do not think that will affect the owner-operator model in the in the way that they're doom and gloom. It's going to end it, but it will have an effect on the owner-operators being scrutinized more. Your safety score and how you actually perform on the road will become incredibly critical. Uh, I mean, that's what Carrier 411 is for already. It's a database that's been around for a long time that gives a carrier a score. And then uh, your favorite YouTube attorney, Cassandra Gaines, just launched Carrier Assure, which is a software program that gives a safety score uh, and a use-don't-use recommendation to uh, motor carriers. And she's already got almost a 1,000 users in that program. And so this is becoming an issue. And so it's just one more reason why the owner operator can't be the Wild West cowboy and has to operate more like a large motor carrier, especially when it comes to safety compliance and dotting the I's and crossing the T's on paperwork. Well, you just uh, you just came up with an idea for a future guest. Miss Gaines? Yeah, if you, I don't know, if you've talked to I would, her, ask I would, her. I would, lo- I would love to interview I her. I know you would. Yeah, you should. You, that actually, but, well, however you do it. But if she wants to join us on Live Care Advice sometime, or if you just mm-hmm. have her on your podcast, whatever. But um, that's an interesting idea, because, I mean, I think people, more people would want to know what's happening with that. What you just told me, I didn't know. Right? Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know how many people. Um, speaking of, Chris says... Hey, Brian, I couldn't make Lancaster. I know Ziggy from Mannheim, New Jersey, caught up with him at a Baltimore tow show. Are you going to go there this year or Baltimore? Is it there? Yes, yes. and yes. 
I, I personally will be at the American Toman Expo in Baltimore. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. It's back to its normal time and location. IATA will have a booth there, same location their booth was in last year. I forget what the booth number is, but uh, it's uh, near the Jerdan tow truck section and the Worldwide Equipment Sales booth. And so Ziggy and Michelle will be there. John Larrick, Derek Hopkins will be there manning the booth. Uh, I am American Toman's business editor, so I will be there as staff for the event, but I am also speaking in Baltimore. I forget what the topics are off the top of my head, but it'll be something to do with safety, compliance, and equipment. And uh, yeah, I will definitely be in Baltimore, as will the IATA crew. That's another thing. we got to get more on top of uh, what your schedule is, your speaking engagements, because I think that's really interesting stuff, too. So. Great question, Chris. Thanks for bringing that up. Well, he, here you go. Here's one. About yeah. three weeks from now, uh, the, end of, the end of September, I will be at the Midwest Regional Tow Show in Mason, Ohio. So that's just north of Cincinnati at the Great Wolf Lodge. It is... Uh, an event that is free to register and attend. Uh, the seminars are free. I will be giving a seminar, I believe, on marijuana and the truck driver. So why CBD oils end up resulting in a positive drug test. Uh, I think I'm speaking on something else as well. Maybe the importance of challenging uh, uh, inspection violations at a data queue process. Don't hold me to that. But if you find Midwest Regional Tow Show, you can Google it. It'll come up with a website, and that'll tell you when uh, I'm speaking, the dates, and what I'm speaking on. And come on out. There uh, is limited to no truck parking on site, but they usually have an overflow parking lot at the uh, uh, Six Flags uh, or uh, Kings Dominion Park that is next door. Plus, there are some truck stops in the area. You could park your truck and, go and Uber on down. But uh, come on out. It's going to be a family fun, friendly weekend, uh, kid-friendly place, and uh, Worldwide Equipment Sales, who sells control car haulers, they'll be there selling tow trucks, but they're going to have some beer and some entertainment and stuff like that. Awesome. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I got the link for that in the live chat. Uh, let's see here. I'm, I'm, we're almost we're up against the hour, so let me see if I can hit this one. I think I got one last. Oh, well, then there's AB5. Is there anything new going on with AB5? Well, officially, yesterday or the day before the injunction that was keeping it from being enforced upon motor carriers was vacated by the original judge that issued it. Supreme Court had refused to hear it, so we knew that was going to happen. But they set, they, they gave 30 days for the California Trucking Association to file a request for a new injunction and start all over. And they're considering allowing the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association to intervene as a uh, friend of the court, which is a fancy way of saying a disinterested third party that's not part of the lawsuit. So they may get another temporary restraining order, but I doubt it. Uh, California hosted their first webinar on AB5 last week trying to explain how it's going to affect and it looks like if you are a bona fide business which wraps right back to the open of the show with uh, david from two bears his questions about his llc and all of that it's looking like if you are a bona fide business to business transaction 
that the AB5 may not be enforced against your operation, but it still has the potential to destroy uh, a lot of owner-operators, especially lease purchase will pretty much not be allowable in California, but we still don't know for sure. All we know is that there's a lot of unknowns. This has been on the books for several years, and California has not created any enforcement guidance at all, so nobody knows how they intend to enforce it or make it applicable. Well, and you know, and just like the law enforcement thing, this is when you are so glad you can hire an attorney. Yes. To argue on your behalf, because this thing is... I, I do. I do know. Uh, I do know several large motor carriers, including one or two car haulers, have either terminated all their contracts with owner operators that right. live in the state of California, yeah, uh, or nuts, have asked right? them to move out of California. Yeah. And I've worked with a couple to help them get their own USDOT number because their motor carrier is going to use their brokerage arm to now broker them the same work that they used to give them as a leased-on owner operator crazy man yeah it's uh, completely upended the the the, the trucking industry on the west coast and it, speaking of not going away so this was filed august 26th five days ago acv auctions versus ntaa auto auction services corp which owns auto ims i be i believe manheim adessa servnet auction group and iag independent auto auction services uh oh and anyways this is what this is crazy by the way uh news flash this is the biggest news in automotive i can think of this is bigger than carvana purchasing odessa now uh i was talking about this last night with ty and i'm gonna keep talking about it because this is literally the war of the auctions come to fruition. This is mm -hmm. enormous. And what this means to me is we've got years of carriers that are upset with certain auctions of the way they are treated when they are there. Correct? Yes. All right. Well, ACV is saying we feel the same way except on a grand level there has been and it there, there i don't know what it is and i'm speculating live <laughs> but the word conspiracy has been used a conspiracy to block them from doing business that is an allegation that that's is a in, very that's serious, serious. allegation. And that's why the word antitrust is being used in this case. This is a serious case that affects the entire automotive ecosystem. Yes, and this is uh, a lesson in why, as independent business owners, we can't get together and demand somebody pay our rates or anything like that because it violates the antitrust laws. In fact... Uh, in another segment of transportation, FedEx Ground just terminated the contract of their largest contractor. He, he represented 225 or 250 of their routes 
because he was calling them out publicly and, and, and calling for an organization of FedEx ground contractors to force their hand with work stoppage just before Thanksgiving to get them to pay better. So they have uh, given him a cease and desist order and terminated his contract immediately. So these things are very serious. So if the auctions that are, have allegedly committed these violations, the big auctions, if this is true, it will change a lot of things. Even if it's not true, it will change a lot of things. Even if it's not true, that's the thing. mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what's true. This, the gauntlet has been dropped. Yes, and, and... yeah. I'm all for competitive marketplace, but just remember, if they use these tactics on other people, they could use the same tactics on a group of their contractors that decide they want more money or a group of dealers that decide they want a sweeter deal to run their cars through their lanes. So, In fact, it, yeah, we've seen an email. We saw an email that said, no, I'm going to get the words wrong, but you can't make your own deals in the parking lot. At the auction. Mm-hmm. If you're a carrier and you talk to a dealer about moving their car, that is not allowed. You you're, you can be well, that, ejected that, from that, the system. That, that's common because and it's it's become enforceable once uh, the rats took over. But it used to be you paid good money to have that table just outside of the lunchroom to stand there and try to get vehicles to transport as the buyers yeah, were are those leaving the lane gone? and coming in for lunch. Uh, at the big gold auto auction, they are, because mm-hmm. now they want to offer automatic delivery services through their transportation arm. And so through Ready Logistics, uh, uh, Ready Auto Transport, One Dispatch, and the other apps that they control, they are taking o- – they're not allowing the independent transporter – to solicit and then yes if they find you're trying to solicit their work out in the parking lot on their property they will just remove you from the system and you won't have access to any of their load boards dispatch services or preferred freight into or out of their auction facilities so yes and that was something that always bothered me because I made a lot of money standing in the uh, transporter lot on a Wednesday night when our sale was Wednesday afternoon and the buyers are panicking because their regular trucker can't get their load out of there or whatnot. And they would load us up on our trucks. And it's interesting you say this because carriers want to know if how they're going to get rid of all the brokers. But what you just described is a system where you can't get rid of all the brokers because the system itself prefers a digital middleman. Well, right. yes, the, the system itself is a giant broker. Now, they would love to cut the other brokers out, too. And with that potential uh, change in regulations where the FMCSA has been directed by Congress to address the definition of a dispatcher, a broker, and double brokering. Isn't we that may see interesting? We may, exactly. we may see a change. And, and I can't tell you how many of my motor carriers have asked me in the last two months about adding broker authority to their to their license and let me just set one thing straight the common theme they have and i don't know what youtube channel they must have heard this on Uh-oh. they keep asking well i want i want broker authority so i have access to the uh to the broker boards where the brokers get all their works from the work from the carriers and that's not how it works you have to boots on the ground know and develop relationships with the shippers to get your work but oh. i've had several clients want a broker license 
so that they can. Uh, but well, wait a minute. Can can carriers buy leads just like anybody else? Yes, they. And they don't need a broker's license to do that. I don't think. Okay. But you're going to need a broker's license to broker that load. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, yes. They're going to haul it in their own truck. Hey. That's all right. You're okay. It happens. Uh, we barely hear you. We may we may be ending the show. <laughs> I think I think Brian's spaceship has burnt up on reentry. Um, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to check with Houston to, to see if we can get his trajectory and uh, location. Oh, uh, Houston, getting a message from Houston. I think Brian's trajectory is back on track. Let's check his GPS. Let's go live to his ELD. <laughs> I think we lost Brian. No, he might be back. In which case, I mean, we're up against the hour anyways, and I think we kind of with the, I think we made our points and we got to the meat of the matter. So what we're going to do is let's go ahead and Let's just go ahead and wrap up here. Uh, I think it's kind of a cool ending. I like this. Uh, because it's a cliffhanger. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with cliffs. And uh, Brian is here to help navigate. So if you have a question, feel free to... What I'm going to do, I'm going to share these links again. The main one is go to yourdotguide.com. That's Brian Riker. Yourdotguide.com. Put it in the live chat. And if you have a question, let me share this link. Um, what you want to do is email your DOT question to Brian on air at yourdotguide.com. You can send him an email anytime, day or night, and he will get back to you. And he will he will try to fully answer your question as best as he can. And if you have a you know if you need his services, you can contact his office, fleetcompliancesolutions.net. It's Fleet Compliance Solutions LLC, and he will, and that's what he does on a regular basis. And he's also on the road, and he understands, he understands the company driver, the company owner, the trucker, and and law enforcement. So um, he's there to help add perspective. You're watching Live Carrier Advice on ATI Auto Business. Please join us again in two weeks. We'll have Ziggy Keller from IATA on the show, and we're going to learn more about... Um, Independent, shoot, IATA stands for, uh, <laughs> I should know this, let's see, it is, I'm going to get it, IATA, dang it Jay, Independent Auto Transporters Alliance, IATA, see here's the good part, uh, since I flubbed it, now you're going to be more in tune to Independent Auto Transporters Alliance, IATA. Learn more about it. Join us in two weeks. And actually, um, we've got more shows this week. ATI Auto Business. I'm Jay, your host. Please let me know how we can help. Sending me an email, autotransportintel at gmail.com. Otherwise, you stay safe. We'll see you soon. Peace out, everybody. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.